This morning, um, we're going to continue our study in the book of Hebrews, and I want to give a little bit of review. We've had two sermons already from the book, and they've been kind of, um, there's been a sermon in between each one, so I want to give you a little bit of a, of a review, and then um, get into where we, where we left off uh, two weeks ago. We want to remember that Hebrews, the theme of Hebrews is that Jesus Christ is better it's a theme that runs from the beginning to the end. There are other intricate parts as to how we maintain that view. Uh, in other words, there are several challenges to our seeing Jesus Christ as better. There are several challenges to our seeing Jesus Christ as more significant, more superior. There are several challenges to our seeing Jesus Christ as sovereign and if you're living this morning, you know that there are challenges every day of your life to seeing Jesus in these ways. Um, Satan wants nothing more than to undermine the sufficiency of Christ. He wants nothing more than to undermine the superiority and the supremacy of Christ. And so what God does is he gives us his word that helps us to, to see Christ and helps us to grow in our relationship and our understanding of him so that those um, obstacles, if you will, those stumbling blocks that the devil throws in our way don't veer us off course. And the reality of it is, as we see throughout the book of Hebrews, that it's not only bad things that can lead us off course when it comes to seeing Jesus Christ as superior, but sometimes good things can veer us off course from seeing Jesus Christ as superior. Now, sometimes the devil just throws things in our way so that we don't see Jesus Christ at all. We don't have a thought about him. It doesn't, the thing might be amoral. The thing might not really matter. It might not be good or bad, or it might even be good, but it leads us from thinking about and meditating on the, the things of God. And in doing so, it takes us away from Christ. So the theme is Jesus Christ is better. The reason for this theme is significant because it's to assist or to help the Hebrew people in understanding why sacrifices and ceremonies are no longer necessary for union with God. It's really a helpful book. It's an instructive book. It's a book that shows forth the kindness and the love and the compassion that God has for his people. It's a sobering book that helps us to see, again, the... Um, the transitioning from those things that pointed to Christ to Christ himself, who is the fulfillment of those things. And now that Jesus Christ has come into this world, he has made those things, those ceremonies and sacrifices, and, and even some relics. He, he has made those things, um, he's accomplished what those things were meant to point to. And therefore, you no longer have to dwell or live in or focus on the things that pointed to Christ because now you can have a relationship with Christ. You can walk with Christ without having to have those things. You can walk with God without having to have those things as the means by which you walk with God. And the interesting thing is, as you study the Old Testament, in all of those means, whether it meant was through the ceremonies or the sacrifices, in all of those means by which they walked with God in a, in a very limited way, they never walked with God in the way that we get to walk with God today through Jesus Christ. And the intimacy that we get to have with God in the person of Christ is something that they never experienced it's something very significant and very personal to us. 
living in the age of the church or living in the age of grace. We ought to treasure and, and uh, we ought to treasure it and, 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 and take advantage of what the Lord has given us. So now that Christ Jesus has come, he's fulfilled all of those things that pointed to him, all of the Old Testament prophecies that pointed to Christ, they've all been fulfilled through his death and resurrection. We now know that we can have access to God without going through those ceremonies and sacrifices. We now know that we have access to God in and through Jesus Christ. We now know that there is peace with God based upon solely what Jesus Christ has done. There is no more need for there to be sacrifices made on a daily basis or a yearly basis for a person to find favor with God because Jesus Christ satisfied that completely. There's no more need for the ceremonies and the relics and all of those things that brought a semblance, if you will, of favor with God, but were not able in themselves to bring favor with God. Jesus Christ is the only one who was able to accomplish this. And by accomplishing through his death and resurrection what all of these other things were unable to accomplish, he put an end to the necessities of these sacrifices and ceremonies. The difficulty that we face today and that they faced when Hebrews was written is that for 2,000 plus years, if you can just picture with me, that's if you take a generation as being 40 years, that's 50 generations. So that's not your grandparents, 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 but I don't have the time and the remaining time to go through all of the generations that 50 would include. But you've heard people say, well, I could never leave this religion because this was my grandpa, my grandparents' 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 religion. And I have to hold to it because it's a, it's a tradition in our family. It's something we hold to as a culture or as a tradition. This is 50 generations. 50 generations of people who have held to the fact that these ceremonies and sacrifices were meant to bring them into some form of unity with God. 50 generations of people were taught that in order to have unity with God, in order to have favor with God, in order to have forgiveness, you have to perform these sacrifices and these ceremonies. You have to have these relics. You have to do all of these things in order to have favor with God. And here comes a new message. Here comes a a new day, a transition, that these things are no longer necessary. These things are no longer important. Now the, the true Fulfillment of these things has come. And now peace with God, rest and favor with God are satisfied and fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. I'm reminded of what the word of God says in Colossians 2 and verse 16 and 17. He says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in regards to food or drink or with regard to festivals or new moons or Sabbaths. These are all shadows of things that are to come, but the substance or the fulfillment belongs to Christ. 
We see a heart of the Lord throughout the book of Hebrews unfolding and unpacking in a very patient, in a very, in a very um, loving way, unpacking these truths to these, to these Hebrew people. There are a few things that I learned just as, as kind of an introduction, a few truths that I learned from, from kind of the, the flow of the book of Hebrews. The first one that I thought through this week as I was meditating on this is the fact that we should never minimize the difficulty of moving from a religious system to faith in Christ. We should never minimize the difficulty of moving from a religious system to Christ. Again, in the, in the same way that he unfolds and unpacks with 13 chapters of writing instructively in order to move these people from tradition to Jesus. He takes it very seriously, and we also should take it very seriously. We have religions in our culture today that very much mimic what, what the writer of Hebrews had to deal with. Uh, religions full of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people that their focus in their ministry is on, is on relics and their focus in their ministry is on um, ceremonies and sacrifices and things other than Jesus Christ. Maybe even important things like, like the apostles or people who played a significant role in serving the Lord. He doesn't, he doesn't, he actually maximizes that issue when he, when he brings up angels because there's no one more significant than angels. We should not minimize the difficulty that it is for people to transition from a religious system, from faith in works or faith in traditions to faith in Jesus Christ. It's, it's difficult, it's hard. Matter of fact, might I submit to you this morning that it's impossible to transition from religion, religiosity to Christ, which is why it takes Christ and his sovereign grace to do it. We should never minimize the difficulty. Number two, we should never avoid the truth. In the book of Hebrews, he deals with people who reject the truth, who, who reject the idea of Christ being the fulfillment of these sacrifices and ceremonies. And when he talks about those who reject those realities, he doesn't minimize the fact that condemnation is the ultimate end. We don't teach a lot on hell today, probably because we're afraid to. It's not politically correct. It's not something that people want to hear. You don't walk away from a sermon on hell thinking, wow, I feel good about myself now, right? It's a difficult topic to deal with. It's a difficult situation to deal with. But even when the author of Hebrews writes and gives all this instruction, all of this kind, compassionate construction on, instruction on transitioning from these sacraments and ceremonies or, or, or these sacrifices and ceremonies over to Jesus Christ, he doesn't leave, leave out the fact that if you don't make that change, you will face condemnation. In Hebrews chapter number 10, he, he literally says, if you refuse to accept this change, if you refuse to accept Christ, you are not only rejecting what Moses was pointing to, but you are rejecting Christ. You're trampling, the word of God says, trampling underfoot the blood of Christ. That's a pretty serious thing. We should never minimize the difficulty of changing. We should never avoid 
the truth or minimize the truth. And the thirdly, we should always speak the truth in love. Not just in love, but, but being patient and gentle in the process. Ephesians 4 and 15 tells us to speak the truth in love. 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26 says to be kind, patient, and gentle when speaking the truth. James 3, 17 and 18 says, heavenly wisdom is first pure, then it's peaceable, gentle, open, merciful, fruitful, impartial, sincere, and it results in righteousness and in peace. And we can learn from this. We do live in a world that is, that is consumed with religious ceremonies and religious sacrifices and religious relics. The issue is, have those things taken the place of Jesus Christ? Are those the things that people go to when they want deliverance? Are those the things that people depend upon when they are hoping for salvation? If this is the case, we are in danger of condemnation. We must understand that Jesus Christ is better. We must believe and acknowledge his significance and his ability in bringing salvation to mankind. In doing so, the apostle or the writer of Hebrews um, begins by, in chapter number one, primarily by dealing with the issue of angels. Jesus Christ is better than the angels would be the theme of verses four, the middle of verse number three, down to the end of verse number four. Teen, the end of the chapter, okay? Angels are known in the scriptures as ministers or messengers of the Old Testament promises. In other words, when God wanted to communicate something to mankind, he would often send an angel to minister that message to mankind. If God wanted to minister to people, if he wanted to provide food or provide some of their needs, he would often do that through angels, Angels were known as the means by which God communicated with, cared for, protected, and provided for, and governed mankind. Angels were not insignificant. Angels were very significant. They were seen as the ones who ministered the law to mankind, which helped govern mankind for a season, for the purpose of, of bringing those people to Christ. Galatians 3 and 19, the Bible says, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made and it was put in place through angels. Angels were the ones who ministered the law. Angels were the ones who ministered the promises of God. We see in Hebrews 1, the fact that they were worshipers of God. Um at least those who hadn't didn't fall, were worshipers of God. They were ministers of God's work and God's will, and they were servants of the people of God. And verse number 14 says, um, are they not all ministering spirits? And that phrase there is, 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 is twofold. It's to show that these are ministering spirits to serve the Lord's work, but it's also a, a phrase that's meant to bring comparison it's like before, who, who is Jesus? And then now, aren't these all ministering spirits? 
Aren't these the ones who are sent out to minister to, to us? Angels are significant, and it's not bad to seeing their significance, and it's not bad to seeing the significance of the apostles. The danger is when the apostles or when angels become the object of our worship. When they take the place of our worshiping of Christ, when they become something that is standing in the place of Christ, then these things become dangerous. I've often heard people, because again, we, there are religions in our culture today that, that promote the worship of, of certain people that have performed great works. The, the Mary is worshiped in one of our religious systems today, and the apostles are worshiped in that same religious system that's out there, and, and, and many other uh, people who have gone before. And, and I hear people um, on the other end of that spectrum, and they, and they minimize Mary, and they, and they minimize the apostles. And I, and I try to challenge them that, no, we don't want to minimize Mary, nor do we want to minimize the apostles. That, that was Jesus' mother. But, G, but Mary or the apostles should never stand in the place of Jesus. Mary or the apostles should never be seen as deliverers from our sins. Jesus is the only one who is able to accomplish that. Jesus is the only one worthy of our praise. Jesus is the only one worthy of our worship. So while we don't want to minimize the events or the people who played big roles in, in, in many ways, let, let Christ always excel them. I think sometimes our, our human nature is, if we want to look good, what, we have to minimize everything else, right? When we minimize everything else, then it, then it elevates us. But the other end of that spectrum is, is if you maximize other things, and then there's yet there's something even greater than those things, then that thing that is greater becomes, is better. <laughs> it is more, it is greater. So we don't have to minimize to maximize. We can maximize those things that are not as great as the Lord himself. That's what he does here with angels. He starts off with, in the first few verses, he talks, starts off with the um, uh, prophets of the Old Testament. Then he starts off with the angels. He talks about these, these significant people. But listen, folks, they're not meant to be worshiped. They're not meant to stand in the place of Jesus. When you need deliverance in your life, you do not go to the apostles. You do not go to Mary. You go to Jesus. He is the one who can deliver you from your sins. And he is the only one who can deliver you from your sins. He is more significant. He is better. How is Jesus better? We're going to spend some weeks actually just unpacking this uh, chapter. Um, today we're going to really just look at one verse, and then the next few weeks we'll unpack some more about how, how is Jesus Christ better than the angels. This is, a, uh, this is a distinction that's actually made by the writer of this book in this first chapter. He's really making a distinction between uh, angels and Jesus. And he wants us to end, he wants us to conclude based upon the information that we have from God's word that Jesus is better. He wants us to worship Jesus. He wants us to follow after Jesus. 
And it's important that we do so that we might have salvation and deliverance. Okay, anyone who comes to God on the means of anything other than Jesus Christ will be rejected. John 14, verse six, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father lest they come through me. Jesus Christ is the only means by which somebody can come to the Father. He is the only means by which somebody can experience salvation. And any other means, no matter how sincere a person is coming in other ways, they will always find rejection because they cannot enter into God's presence based upon their own merits or based upon anyone else's merits except for Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. So why why is Jesus Christ better? Our focus this morning will be in verse number three at the end of that verse, and then also verse number four. We're gonna look at the works of Jesus. The works of Jesus Christ are better than the works of angels. And again, angels serve men, angels worship God, angels don't do insignificant things, but their works are not as great as that of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, okay? There are certain things that your mom can do, right? You fall down and you scrape your knee, and your mom puts a bandage on it, she gets some of that cream and she puts it on there and she puts it on your knee and then you feel better and your mom feels good about what she's done. There are certain things that your mom can do, but there are certain things that your mom can't do. You know, hopefully if you fall down and break your leg, your mom has the wisdom to take you into the hospital and to have them reset the bone because they are, they are capable of doing more than she's capable of doing. Now it's great that your mom can patch up that, that scrape on your knee, right? And some moms actually have more abilities than others. Maybe, maybe you are a doctor and you can reset that bone, but there are certain things that you can't do, right? So we understand that doesn't minimize the importance of moms, but it also helps us understand the importance of doctors. There are a lot, a lot of things in life that angels can do. There are, there are significant roles that they have but they, but they are incapable. They are, they are like the doctor who you come to and he puts a Band-Aid on the, womb and, on the wound and he's able to make it feel better and things of that nature, but they're not able to deal with the actual problem itself. Jesus is. Jesus is. If you need surgery, Jesus is the one who can perform that surgery. And I'm not talking about physical surgery. I'm talking about spiritual surgery. If you need spiritual surgery, Jesus Christ can perform spiritual surgery in your life. Angels cannot. Jesus is able to dig deep. He's able to get out all of the disease that's there spiritually and to deal with it. Jesus is capable of doing that. Angels are not, nor is man. Whether they're prophets, priests, kings, presidents, governors, pastors, We are not capable of dealing with man's ultimate problem, but Jesus is. Jesus is the only one who is capable of dealing with those problems. So let's look at this and and, and unpack it for a few minutes. In the middle of verse um, three, Jesus begins, or or the, the writer begins this comparison. And this phrase at the end of chapter number, or verse three, is pivotal to the whole rest of the chapter. It's really foundational. This is the work 
that sets Jesus Christ apart from all other works. This is the work that sets Jesus Christ apart from all others who work. This is the work that sets Jesus Christ apart from all others who try to do spiritual things. This is the work that sets Jesus apart that is going to be unfolded throughout the rest of the book of Hebrews. And this work is the work of purifying sins. He says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You'll notice the next phrase that because of the work that he's just completed, he becomes, he becomes, in, in other words, it's, it's a reward, it's an inheritance, it's something that happens in that moment. If you go to chapter number two, you'll see that when Jesus Christ came into the world, he came as a, a little bit lower than the angels. Okay, he was brought into the world lower than the angels because mankind is lower than the angels. Angels are more significant. But this work, this specific work, elevated him above the angels as a man. Obviously, Jesus Christ as God was always elevated above the angels. But this work that he accomplishes elevates him over angels as a man. And what is that work? His work is threefold that we'll unpack this morning. Again, he says, um, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become, okay, again, this is something that happens in this moment, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And we'll unpack that a little bit more next week, but you can see that same um, principle taking place in the book of Philippians, and I'll just turn there and read a short passage to you. Um, in verse chapter number two, in verse number five, he says, um, "Have this mind in you, among have this mind among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in the in the human form." He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now we know that, that the death that is spoken of here was a substitutionary atonement. You say, what does that mean? It's a big word. It just simply means that he stood in our place. And Jesus Christ did not die for his own sins. He died for the sins of his people. Um, he had no sins of his own. Hebrews 4 tells us that, that he was without sin so he did not die for his own sins, but he died for the sins of his people. He, he died so that he might bring redemption. He died so that he might bring justification. He died so that he might bring salvation. Jesus Christ accomplished this not for his own good, but for the good of his people and ultimately in obedience to God the Father. The Bible says in verse number nine, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him or bestowed upon him a name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will conf confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is what takes place as the result of Jesus Christ's sacrifice for our sins. Jesus' superiority over angels and Jesus Christ's superiority over man is directly related to his accomplishments, his works, what he did and what he 
accomplished. Again, as I've mentioned it already, angels and men do the will of God. Angels and men serve the work of God. But there is one task that neither angels or men could accomplish. This was an an impossible task. This was a significant task. And the task is that he made purification for sins. Jesus Christ is superior to angels because he is capable and because he accomplished the purification for our sins. Say, what does this mean? Well, first of all, to purify sins, the term that's used here for purification for sins literally means that he purged, he he washed Um, The doctrine is the doctrine of expiation. He he removed our sins from us. He took them away. He removed them. If you ever ever purged a computer or you purged a hard drive or if you you purged something of a a chemical that's in a bucket, you you take it all out. You know, you type in, what's what's the computer, guys? What's the command? It's not purge. What's the command to get rid of everything on your computer? Delete, <laughs> format C, right, there you go, format the drive. You don't, you don't want to do that. Don't go home and say, I'm going to try this out, all right? It's not a good idea. You will lose everything. But if you want to understand what Jesus Christ did for us in regards to our sins, that's exactly it. That he formatted our hard drive. He deleted everything off of it. He, he cleansed it. He washed it as white as snow. Though our, skins, though our sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Jesus Christ accomplished this. He, he cleansed us. He purified us. He, he deleted all of our sins. If you'll go with me into the Old Testament, into the book of Leviticus, chapter number 16. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and I don't say that for your benefit. Leviticus chapter number 16, I had to make sure that I was going in the right direction. The picture in the Old Testament was when the Day of Atonement would come, they would take two goats and one goat would be sacrificed to pay for the sins of the people and the other goat, the, the high priest would lay his hands on the other goat and this goat was called the scapegoat. They would take that goat and they would transfer uh, spiritually Obviously, it wasn't a a, a literal thing. It was a spiritual thing, but they would spiritually transfer the sins of all the people onto the scapegoat, and then they would take him out of the camp. They would remove him from amongst the people. It was a picture of being, having our sins taken away. In Leviticus chapter number 16, in verse 20, and when he had made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meetings and the altar, He shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all the iniquities on himself to a remote area and he shall let the goat go free into the wilderness." Turn with me to Isaiah chapter number 53. Isaiah chapter number 53. Verse number six. 
All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquities of us all. This is that same picture from Leviticus. He, he laid on Jesus Christ. He put his hand on Christ and he, he transferred in a spiritual way all of our sins onto Jesus Christ. Verse number 11, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, for he shall bear their iniquities. Verse 12, therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for their transgressions. Jesus Christ bore our sins. The book of Hebrews in chapter number 13, you don't need to turn there, but if you want to read sometime in verse 12 and 13, the Bible says that Jesus Christ was sacrificed outside of the camp. Why was he sacrificed outside of the camp? He was sacrificed outside of the camp to take our sins away, to, to picture the removal of our sins. The Bible says in 1 John 3 and verse 5, you know that he appeared in order that he might take away sins. That's the purpose of Jesus. That's why he came into this world. That was his purpose for being here. We want to remember this, that Jesus Christ's ministry on this earth, we'll get into this a little bit next week, but one of the ways that distinguishes him from, from angels was that it's not his only ministry. Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross is significant, but Jesus Christ is even bigger than that. And we'll see that coming up. He made purification for sins. He, he purged them. He washed them away. He, he removed those sins. The Bible says he's placed them as far as the east is from the west. He's removed them from his memory. He remembers them no more. In other words, God does not hold the sins of his people against them because he held the sins of his people against his son. When he poured out his wrath on his son, he did it in such a way as to deal with our sins. He made purification for sins. We see this in Hebrews 8 through 10. If you, sometime when you're reading through the book of Hebrews, just look at those passages of scripture. It talks about him making purification for our sins. Listen to me this morning, folks. Angels are not able to purify you of your sins Preachers are not able to purify you of your sins. Pastors are not able to purify you of your sins. Prophets are not able to purify you of your sins. Evangelists are not able to purify you of your sins. No one can satisfy God's wrath towards your sins except for Jesus Christ. This is what sets him apart. Listen, when we deal with our sins each day and we face the, our sins, we face the consequences of our sins, we face the power of our sins, don't run to people and don't run to things. Run to Jesus. He can set you free. He can save you. He purifies from our sins. He then frees us from our sins. 
He frees us from the condemnation of our sins. He frees us from the power or the control of our sins. He frees us from the influence of our sins or the temptation of our sins sometimes. Sometimes we face the temptation and we walk then in grace to be victorious. One day he will free us from the presence of sins from the world. Listen to what he says in Romans 6.23. But now that you have been set free from sin. That's a statement of fact. Now you have been set free from sin. I wonder, I wonder how many of us this morning have, have, have embraced that reality. That now as a follower of Jesus, one who is indwelt by God's spirit, I am free from sin. So what he tells us, now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Romans 8 and verse 1, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 verse 31 through 39, what shall separate us from the love of God? And the answer is, there's a lot of other verses there, but we'll just give one word answer. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Do you know why there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God? It's because your sins have been dealt with. God doesn't love sin. Matter of fact, God hates sin. What allows God to love you Mercy. is that he paid for your sins. Mercy and grace. Jesus Christ purifies man from their sins. He deals with their sins. He's more significant to angels in that he can do this. And he can deal with yours as well. John 14 and verse 11. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. The element of his works, Jesus Christ is able to cleanse us the extent of his works. The second term that I want to look at in this simple phrase is the word sins. You'll notice that this word is not, is not pointing to a certain person's sins or a certain individual's sins. It's simply a plural term used to describe sin in general. In other words, Jesus Christ made purification for sins. And now, as we go through the book of Hebrews, we can see the extent are the scope of his ability to pay for not some sins, but all sins. We might ask the question, how far does Jesus Christ's sacrifice reach? In other words, what sins does it cover? Whose sins does it pay for? How far does his sacrifice reach? And in the end, we understand that Jesus Christ's sacrifice and his, the extension of his reach has no limitations at all. It is the most powerful sacrifice. It's not just capable of offering salvation to mankind, but Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross gifted salvation to men and to women. The impact or the reach and the sufficiency of angels always falls short. It always leaves men wanting. It always leaves men lacking. 
In their service, it leaves men lacking. In their ministering of the law, it leaves men wanting. Because their purpose was never to fulfill, it was to point. Their purpose was never to satisfy. Angels were never meant to be the object of our satisfaction. They were meant to point to the one who satisfies. The same with men. We were never meant to satisfy. We were meant to point to the one who satisfies. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 10 and verse four, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Hebrews 10 and verse 11, and every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Why does the author deal with this? Why does he point this out? So that we might realize that Jesus Christ is the only one capable of taking away our sins. And might we understand that our sins are our ultimate problem. Hebrews 9 and verse 9 says, According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are made or offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. In other words, they're capable of doing some exterior work, but they're not capable of doing any interior work. Folks, listen to me. We don't need exterior work. We need interior work. Exterior work will be a result of interior work. But God has to do the interior work. God has to be the one that transforms the heart of the individual. And it's only possible as a result of what Jesus Christ accomplished, not a result of what man can accomplish or has accomplished. Hebrews 7, verse 19 and 20. For on one hand, a a former commandment is set aside because it is weak and useless For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we will draw near to God. In other words, the the sacrifices and ceremonies were never capable of bringing us close to God. He calls them useless and weak. But there is another promise. There is another mediator by which we will enter into God's presence, and that mediator is Jesus Christ. So while the angels were insignificant or insufficient, let me say that right, insufficient in accomplishing what we need for salvation, Jesus Christ was sufficient. And he was sufficient not just to deal with some sins, but he was sufficient to deal with all sins. This is the emphasis of this term, that Jesus Christ's blood, the emphasis is not the effectiveness of his blood, it is the extent of the, of, the, of the impact that his blood can have. It is the sufficiency of that blood. Listen to these verses, Hebrews 10, verse 12 through 14. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he offered a single sacrifice for sins, he says, for all time. He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. He says, by one offering, the offering of Jesus Christ, he has perfected forever. This idea of losing your salvation totally goes against this this, this text, this verse. Forever we have been perfected. For all time, past, 
present, and future, we have been perfected because we are indwelt by the person of Christ. It is Christ Jesus' perfection that has been imputed to us. We have merited his righteousness. We have not merited his righteousness, but we have been imputed his righteousness. It's a gift to us. Therefore, we are perfect in his eyes. Hebrews 10 and 18, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sins. Hebrews 9, 11, and 12, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through a greater and more perfect tent, meaning his body, not made with hands, that is not of his creation, he entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Jesus Christ did not deal with the sins of mankind partially or just simply externally or temporarily. Jesus Christ defeated sin completely. He overcame sin entirely. He was victorious over all things related to sin. Jesus Christ was victor, and he wasn't, he's not a continual victor in that he continues to overcome sin. He defeated sin once for all. The sacrifice that Jesus Christ made was sufficient. This idea of sacrificing Jesus Christ on the cross over and over and over again is not biblical. He died once for all. And our faith in his sacrifice, our trusting in what he has done, is what brings us into union with Jesus Christ. It's what unites us with him. It's not works that we do that unite us with Christ. It's it's trust in what he has already done. Jesus Christ paid for the sins past, present, and future. He paid for little sins and big sins. He paid for heinous sins and innocent sins. He paid for internal sins and external sins. He paid for habitual sins and accidental sins. There is no sin that Jesus Christ has not sufficiently paid for. Listen, it doesn't matter what you're dealing with today. It doesn't matter how stooped you are in it. It doesn't matter how deep you have dug yourself in. You've dug the trench so deep you feel like there's no way out. None of those things matter because you know by the word of God that Jesus is sufficient and that Jesus Christ saves and he is the only one who can save. Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross is sufficient for all while only effective. It only applies and it only matters to those who believe and embrace it. See, that's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, while sufficient for all sins, it only applies to the one who believes and embraces it. That's why this phrase is referring to the sins, all sins, murder, uh, bank robbery, all of these sins are included in it, but it only applies to those who embrace it by faith. John 3.36 says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not believe or does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. You're familiar with John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him, the promises of that verse are not applicable to everybody. 
They're offered to everybody. They're applicable only to those who embrace by faith what Jesus Christ has done for them. When the Philippian jailer asked, what must I do to be saved? What did they say to him? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe on Christ. He has accomplished everything necessary. He is the only one who is capable of saving. And this distinguishes him from the angels, amen? And this distinguishes him from us. He is superior and sufficient. The last thing this morning, we see the elements of his work. We see the extent of his work, the scope of his work, the reach of his work. And the last this morning is we see the end of his work. He says at the latter part of this phrase, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Angels never get to sit down. Angels works are ne- angel, the angels' work is never done. Their work is their purpose and identity. Remember this, Jesus Christ's work is a part of his purpose, but it is not his identity. It might be his identity to us because we see him, as, we see him in, in somewhat of a selfish way as what he did for us, but Jesus Christ is God. He existed eternally. He created the universe. There's more to him than that there is to angels. It's not just what he does for us. It is who he is. He is glorious. He is deserving of our worship and our praise, not just because of what he accomplishes for us, but he is worthy of our worship and our praise because of who he is. And when it says that he sat down at the right hand of the Father, The implication is simply this. He finished the work that God had given him to do for our salvation. He completed it. It was over, ended, done. There's nothing more to be done for the salvation of an individual. Nothing. We must embrace that as a reality. He fulfilled what Genesis 3.15 prophesied when he said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring and he will bruise your heel and you will bruise his. He will bruise your head or he shall bruise your head. Jesus will bruise the serpent's head, fatal wound, and he shall bruise your heel. He has finished. In the same way that Jesus Christ In the same way that God the Father rested on the seventh day, Jesus Christ rested after 33 and a half years fulfilling his purpose for which he was sent into this world. Jesus Christ is capable. Jesus Christ is the only one who is capable to save. This morning in closing, whatever you're going through, and, and, and we could have a, a wide variety of people struggling in here. We must know, number one, that at the bottom of our struggle is sin. It always is. The struggles that we deal with, the struggles and difficulties that we face, they're always a result of sin. A sin introduced into this world all negative things. Anything that's not positive or perfect, sin introduced into this world. And in those situations, Jesus Christ is the answer. It doesn't matter what you're going through. Jesus Christ is always, always, always the answer. 
And Jesus Christ is capable of bringing healing in every situation and in every circumstance. There's nothing that Jesus Christ is not up to the task for. Amen? But he doesn't always bring deliverance, does he? He doesn't always set us free from our struggle and difficulty because he has a purpose. He's doing something through that difficulty, through that struggle, in order to bring us what? In order to bring us deliverance. You see, our view of deliverance might be a little bit different than his view of deliverance. It may be that the trial that we're going through is the very means by which God is going to deliver us. What's he going to deliver us from, Pastor John? He delivers us from ourselves. We must know this morning that Jesus Christ is the one to whom we run for whatever we need. And he's the only one capable of digging beyond the surface, going beyond the exterior and entering into the interior of the heart and exposing what the true problem is and then dealing with it. Jesus is the only one capable of doing that. And we must run to him in that way. I'm gonna close with a little illustration here. Some of you are familiar, two years ago, or two years ago, maybe it was last year, our, our daughter broke her finger in a basketball game and she broke it pretty bad, and uh, we, we, um, we, we, we decided we were gonna go to the emergency room, we were gonna go in there, and they were, we were gonna see if they would take care of her, and we sit in there for six hours or whatever, and we finally got back into the back room, and they, and they literally, they took her back there, they took an x-ray of her finger, and then they wrapped it up with all this bandage, and, and they said to her, you need to go see a specialist. And they wrapped it up, and they made, you know, they gave her some pills, they made her... They made her feel somewhat better. They dealt with the externals. They, they did some of the things that they could do, but they could not actually deal with the fact that there was a greater problem there. They did not have the ability to deal with the greatness of the problem. So we ended up going to, um, to, a, to a hand doctor or whatever, and she ended up having two surgeries on that hand. But that specialist was there to deal with things that the emergency room wasn't capable of dealing with. And what we have to understand, what we, what, we, what we need to grasp is the fact that Jesus Christ is there to deal with all of our struggles. He's there to comfort us in difficulty. He's there to encourage us in times of discouragement and despondency. He's there to strengthen us when things are difficult. And he's not yet ready to bring deliverance to us, but he's going to strengthen us so that we maintain. Jesus Christ is the solution in all of these things. And he's driving us He's driving us and driving us and driving us so that we find fulfillment, we find satisfaction, we find deliverance, we find hope, we find acceptance only in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ. He can deal with your sins. He can save you this morning. He can set you free from the bondage, condemnation, and in the future, the presence of your sins. But he's the only one who can do it. You can try to work it out on your own all you want, but you will always fall short. You will always be left wanting. But Jesus doesn't leave people wanting. Jesus leaves people satisfied. Do you know why the Bible says about Jesus that when you eat of him like you eat of bread, you will never be hungry again? That when you drink of him like you drink water, that you will never thirst again? Do you know why it says that? Because Jesus is all satisfying. 
and he's the only one who can satisfy. If you are not in a relationship with God through Jesus, if you're not in a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, my, my plea to you is believe. Believe in him. Embrace him. Trust him. Follow him. He is worthy. John 6, 637 says, all that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And then Acts 4, 11, and 12, and I close. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which, have become the corner, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. Listen this morning, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is more superior to angels. He's more superior to relics. He's more superior to religion. He's more superior to ceremonies and sacrifices. He is the fulfillment of all of these things. They all point to him. Now that we have him, let us embrace and enjoy him. Let us find satisfaction and deliverance in Christ and in Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace to us and your kindness to us and your love for us. Thank you for sending your son into this world to fulfill all of the things that these ceremonies and sacrifices pointed to. That we no longer have to be wanting, but we can be satisfied and complete in Christ. I pray that you would just drive this truth home into the hearts of those who are here today. If there's one that doesn't know you, that has never embraced Jesus, is, is maybe holding on still tightly to some ceremonies or sacrifices that, man, maybe I can accomplish or reach this goal. Lord, help them to know that they're not going to make it. And help them to embrace that Jesus Christ did everything necessary for them to make it. And help them to embrace him by, by faith. For those here today that are saved, I pray that you would help them in their daily walk to find Christ's fulfilling, satisfying, to find him as the point of encouragement and the point of, of strength and the point of wisdom, to find Jesus Christ as all. For Lord God, that is his value. May we worship him as we ought. Please bless us as we go home today, Lord. May the... May your word be alive to us this week. May we live for you the best that we can in Christ's name. 